I said, we're in this series called I'm In. Like, like I'm in. And four big, big themes that we've been looking out th- at through this series is week number one, we discovered that, that I'm invited. That God's inviting me to, to something uh, bigger than me, something greater than me. Last week, we talked about I'm invaluable uh, to God's work. And I told you that, that you are. No, what, whatever you do for the kingdom of God is, is valuable. And today, I want to show you that you are influential for God's glory. And next week, we're going to see, hopefully, we're going to see that you are invested in God's work. And I've been praying over this all week long. I really believe that, that you need to see yourself as an influencer. Like, like how many of you would, would say that, that I am an influencer? Not many of us, really. And that doesn't surprise me. Because, because what's happened is, like, we've got, like, the internet and social media has been become to define what an influencer is. But here's the thing. I believe that you are called to be light in this world and to show the love of God day in and day out. And I want to give you one statement today that, that if you fall asleep after this, like, it's fine. You'll understand the sermon. Uh, one statement, and I pray that it really sinks in that you'll really embrace this truth, that you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, or one expression of love might change someone's life. You have no idea how God might use one word, one moment, one conversation, one generous expression towards someone to change that person's life and to lead them to the grace of Jesus. Like, most of us don't think that, that we're an influencer. And, and I believe it's because culture has hijacked that term. Like, as I was looking it up, the very first definition that I came up with online was this. Here's what an influencer is. An influencer is an individual who has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, or relationship with their audience. Really? Like, that's what an influencer is? Someone who can get me to buy underwear? Like, come on. Someone who influences purchase decision because of the number of followers they have on social media. That's an influencer. Like, and I'm so confused because when I was growing up, like an influencer was often a teacher or it was a coach or it was a, a good parent or a good friend. Like those were influencers. Someone who had a, a Sunday school class was an influencer. And today, unfortunately, culture has taken that term and so many people, like, would describe as being an influencer, you have to be a celebrity, you have to be a, a content creator, you have to be someone who's amassed a great number of followers on, on social media. In fact, I gave up looking for an article online that talked about an influencer as anything beyond social media. Because honestly, I couldn't find any. And what I want to do today is I want the church to try to reclaim that word influencer. And I want you to see yourself as an influencer um, because you have no idea how God could use one word of of encouragement, one conversation, one act of generosity to change someone else's life. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, and listen, I know everybody in here or watching online, you're not at this point, but listen, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, like, you're absolutely welcome here. Like, we, we want you here. But for those of you that are followers of Jesus, I want to show you exactly what Jesus says you are. He uses two metaphors in in the Gospel of Matthew as he's doing what we call the Sermon on on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. He says this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. 
What does salt do? Salt purifies, salt preserves, salt adds flavor. I may have added too much salt to the gravy this morning, so if that's bad, blame me. Like, just nudge, nudge your neighbor to the person next to you um, and just kind of say, you're kind of salty. Yeah. Don't get offended. Now, nudge the, the neighbor on the other side, your second choice, um, and, and tell him you're kind of shiny. This is what he said, because Jesus said you are salt. Then he also said that you are the light of the world. Like, you, you're, you're shiny. He said a, ta- a town built on a hill or a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Then let your love influence people toward Jesus. Let everything that you do, let every conversation, every word that you speak, every action that you do, make sure that it's influencing someone for the gospel. So let's reclaim the true meaning of the word influencer. And I'm not against influencers in, in culture. Like, like, I'm not. Like, I want to be one on social media. Um, but I have to post something first, wouldn't I, Kyle? Like, <laughs> like, and, and I hope that some of you guys are, are, are influencers on social media. But the, the problem with our current view of, of what an influencer is, is that it typically starts with a platform. Like, it starts with the platform. The, the size of your platform discovered... Uh, determines the scope of your influence. And I think it just starts somewhere different. I believe that true and lasting influence always starts with people before platform. It always starts with people. And the good news is that all of you have people in your sphere of influence that you come into contact with every single day. It starts with people right in front of us. You know, our mission statement at KCC is this, it's, is we exist to lead people. And, and we talked about this, and, and, I've, and I've preached about it, but, but it's not about property. Oh, we've got great property, we've got a great facility, we've got a great building. It's not about those things, though. It's about people. Uh, it's not about programs. Uh, we could have a thousand programs going at one time, and, and every day of the week be filled with something, and and going somewhere and doing something and, and all of those things, but it's not about program. We exist to lead people to take their next step in a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's always about people. And if we can use our building, if we can use our programs, if we can use our resources uh, to, to help that, like that's fine, that's great, that's, that's what God designed them for, but it's all about people. And whenever we take our eyes off of people, and not necessarily the people that are in here, but the people that are out there and that aren't in here yet, whenever we take our eyes off of them, then we've lost focus and we've lost track of what God's called us to do and be as followers of Jesus. He's given us this opportunity of influence so that we can reach a world that so desperately needs to see the light of Christ because they're living in darkness. Yeah, I want to reach a thousand people here on Sunday morning. But what we have to understand, and what I have to understand, is that's going to happen one person at a time. And and it's going to happen faster as as we see ourselves, as followers of Christ, as we see ourselves as influencers. We'll see more and more people coming to Christ, and we'll see the community changing for the good. But it's not going to happen until all of us realize that, that we're called to be an influencer. 
In fact, our core values at the church are even designed to help you be an influencer. Like they're easy to remember. Found people, find people. Like you have been found by God, so the, the, natural, uh, the natural response to that is you want to find other people. You, you want to have influence. Save people, serve people. It's all about influence. Growing people change. Like we change uh, for, for the better. We change. We become more and more like Christ. And in turn, that we begin to influence more and more people. Or I can't do life alone. Like we know that there are people that are around us to, to influence us and so that we can influence other people. And, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing this. Who, who influenced me? Well, it started with, with my parents. My mom drugged me to church from the very first Sunday I was out of the hospital. And, and I, I, like, I didn't have a choice. Like, I was going, even when I was 18 years old, like, and getting ready to go to Bible college, like, I didn't have a choice. My mom was making sure I was in church every single week. There were a couple years that my dad taught a Sunday school class that I was in. It was an influence. There were uh, Cliff and Myra Runk. They taught a, a Sunday school class. Uh, and I don't remember a single lesson they taught. I just remember they were two old people that loved me. Like, that's it. Like, then there was Norman Luce, who, like, I'm not sure what he ever did, um, except he would smile and give me a pack of, of zebra fruit striped gum every single week. And it wasn't like the little five-piece pack. It was the great big pack every single week. And, and, I, and I saw him, like, a few months ago, back when, when my friend passed away, and I was at that funeral. Um, and he still looks exactly the same. Like, it's been 50 years, and the man still looks as old as he did then. It's amazing. And then there was, it was Gary Angel, who was my youth minister, like who invested so much time and money into me. And, and then and not only him, but his wife, uh, Tangie. And then there was a guy named Rowdy Green, who always wanted to beat me up. I don't know why, but, but he influenced me and pushed me toward Christ. And there was Doug Beard, a friend of mine, and Adam Allman, who passed away, and, uh, and, and Rennie Kittle, um, and Ben Gregory, a youth intern uh, by a guy named, uh, who was named Pete. I'm not even positive of his last name, but he was at the church the day that I found out my parents were getting divorced, and I went there. And he just sat there and encouraged me. Uh, then there was Ralph Ramsey, who was an elder at the church, who I'm not even sure he really knew who I was. Um, but he would stand up for, to, for the youth group in elders meetings when we did something stupid. And I was usually in charge of that. But I can go on and on about the people who have influenced me in the past. And those of you that are, that are still influencing me today, like someday I'm going to preach this sermon and, and 15 years ago, and many of your names will be mentioned in that group because you're still influencing me. Like there is, there is nothing worse, I think, in church work than to feel like you're doing this all alone. And, I, and I'm talking about as a minister. Like as I, I did, I'm friends with a lot of ministers and a lot of Facebook pages and uh, other things, and, and so many ministers feel like they're in it alone. And I'll tell you, at KCC, I don't feel like I'm alone. Because there's so many of you who, who understand that you are influencers, and what you do is invaluable to the kingdom. Like, I feel like I have an army of people who have the potential to influence the whole world. And you have no idea what one word of encouragement uh, could do to influence someone. And, and here's what I hope you'll understand is that influence isn't always obvious. Influence isn't always instant. Just because you don't see a harvest doesn't mean that it's not taking root. You have no idea how God might use you in one moment to plant a seed that will grow into real and lasting influence in the life of somebody that you love. See, none of those guys I mentioned are like, they had no idea what they were going to do was going to turn into a preacher 30 years later. 
Some of them would be shocked that it turned into a preacher 30 years later. But I want to show you a story today in, in the scriptures. And it's, it's one of my favorite stories uh, in all the scriptures. The most unlikely influencer, perhaps, I think, in the New Testament. The story takes place in John chapter 4, and it's about a woman that, that nobody ever thought she would have influence. The context of the story is Jesus was on a trip, he was on a journey, and he had to go through Samaria uh, to get there, which was an unusual choice. The, the disciples wouldn't have expected him to go through uh, Samaria, they would have expected him to go around Samaria, because Jews didn't interact with Samaritans. The Samaritans, they were half Jew, they were half Gentiles, and, and the Jews hated them. Like, if you were a Jew, uh, you would never, ever associate with a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, again, he shocks everybody, and he sits down by a well in the middle of a day uh, in order to rest. And the Samaritan woman comes to the well, and, and Jesus asks her for a drink. He dignifies her by starting a conversation and she's thrown completely off guard. Scripture says this in verse 9, um, that the woman was surprised, she was shocked, she was overwhelmed, like no Jewish man would ever approach her. It says, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans, she said to Jesus. You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and it was who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then she said, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. He said, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. He said, you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. There wasn't a Jewish man anywhere that would have interacted with this woman. But Jesus approaches her with love in her heart, and he dignifies her, and he honors her, all the time knowing that she was an outcast in the community. Divorced five times and shacking up? In this day, like that would raise eyebrows. In that day, she would have been shunned. She would have been the woman that everybody whispered, stay away from her, keep your husband away from her. She's nothing but bad news. And Jesus, knowing all of this, doesn't look at her as this, this immoral woman, but instead he looks at her as a miracle waiting to happen knowing that a touch from heaven could completely change her heart. And it dawns on her in a minute. Like, wait a minute. We've heard. I've heard that there's a Messiah coming. I've heard perhaps about this man that does miracles and he raises the dead and he opens blind eyes. Why would a, why would a Jewish man speak to me? Why would he show me honor? Why would he show me respect? And, and how would he know everything about my life? Maybe this is the Messiah. And she leaves her water and she runs back to the village. And the Bible says it, it directs that she left her water beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everybody, this is what she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? 
And so what happened? The people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. What do we see in this story? First of all, so no matter how bad your life is messed up, and I want you to hear me, no matter how bad your life is messed up, you're not too far gone for the love of Jesus to reach into your life. And then we see that this town outcast, this woman, the, the one that everybody would have been whispered about, she's going on enthusiastically telling people this may be the one, this broken woman, this, this messed up woman, the one that's been called an immoral woman, she immediately became an influencer. Her story shows us that you don't have to have it all together to influence someone else toward Jesus. Like, you don't have to. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to pray powerful prayers. You don't have to be able to, to quote the exact place in the Bible where something is. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have everything all fixed up in your life to be an influencer. Here's what you have to know. You have to know who Jesus is and, that he, and, and care about the people around you. And then you can immediately be light in this world and salt to those who are around you. You just have to care about people. You don't need 4,000 followers to have a platform. You need to care about one person who's right in front of you because you're an influencer. Again, you don't have to, let, to know it all to let your light shine. You just let light do what light does and salt do what salt does. Listen, you have no idea what one word of encouragement or one word of hope or one expression of love might do to, to lead someone to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, the, finally, this woman goes and she tells everybody and the disciples show back up to the well and they ask Jesus, are you hungry? And that's funny to me because I'm, I'm always hungry. And they said, have you eaten? And Jesus goes all spiritual on them and he says, my food is to, to do the will of God. And I like that. He's like, in your face. Like, you want food? I'm doing God's work. So anyway, then he said this. Then he said, the field is ripe for the harvest. And he uses a, a farming metaphor. Because the harvest was always about changed lives. He said, the field is ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. And for our purpose, we can say it this way. The field is ripe for harvest, but the influencers are few. Don't let culture rob you from your calling by categorizing influencers as someone on social media. It doesn't start with a platform. It always starts with the person right in front of you. You're an influencer. So this woman, she goes back to town. She tells everybody. And the next part of the story says this in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said he had told me everything I ever did. Many Samaritans from that village believed in Jesus. Why? Because one woman had influence. One unlikely woman who said, Jesus has told me everything I did. Like, who did God use? Not an Instagram star, not a, not a professional athlete, not a celebrity, not a content creator. A regular, ordinary, everyday, broken, sinful woman who had been transformed by Jesus. You have influence exactly where you, where you are. And I want you to stop and just think for a minute. The band's going to come up. And why are you here? Who influenced you to be here today? 
Maybe it was a parent or a friend. Maybe you're here because someone you cared about cared enough to, to say, hey, come and see. Maybe someone shared Jesus with you at some point. You said, we have some exciting things coming up over the next several weeks. The block party, the, the, the friend day. Who can you influence? Who can you invite? Who can you just say, just like this woman did, come and see. I want you to feel this, like you are an influencer. You have no idea what one word of encouragement, one expression of love can do to change someone's life. Like the band's getting ready to lead us in a song called My Testimony. And I said, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything. What you have to know in order to be an influencer is you have to know this is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what he's doing in me now. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But I'm not where I used to be. I'm going to ask you to stand and begin to think about today your, your influence. Think about today the people who have influenced you. But also to think about the people that you can share your testimony with. Because it always starts with people. Father God, today I'm thankful for the influence that you've given us. That we are, we are salt and we're light. And again, it's not because of who we are or, or how great our lives are or how perfect we've got everything put together or situated that... God, we're salt and light because you said we're salt and light. So, Father, I pray today that you'd help us as a church to reclaim that word influencer, to begin to look at the people who are right in front of us every single day, day in and day out, and to know that you put them there because you want us to shine light on them. You put them there so that we can have an influence, and not for our benefit, God, but for, for your benefit and for your glory. Father, I pray today for anyone here who's, who's outside of a relationship with Christ. Maybe, maybe they thought that they'd done too much or gone too far. And today they heard for the first time that they hadn't, that you've always loved them. Even, even from the very beginning, God, you loved them. Even when you knew that they were going to mess up, you loved them. And so, Father, today I pray it would be a day that they come to you and that their testimony is beginning to change because of who you are and what you can do in their life. In the name of Jesus, I pray.